So how do you attract new business so you constantly don't have to chase it? Hi, I'm Mike Cuevas, the Real Estate Marketing Dude, and this podcast is all about building a strong personal brand people have come to know, like, trust, and most importantly, refer. But remember, it is not their job to remember what you do for a living, it's your job to remind them. Let's get started. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Marketing Dude podcast. Uh, we're going to talk about opportunities and what's going to happen in this upcoming recession. I know a lot of you guys are scared shitless, but there's no reason to be because these are when the best opportunities come about. And sometimes those opportunities involve you not actually selling a house, but investing in some, maybe for once, or maybe investing in yourself in real estate. If you're going to have a license to help other people invest in real estate, some of the best deals are about to pop off. Maybe not right now, but mark my words, in 12 to 18 months, you're going to see a whole different story. Um, and I think there's going to be a whole lot of opportunity. And it's just going to be a matter of whether or not you want to grasp it. Um, my advice to you guys is to learn other things. Get uncomfortable being comfortable and um, or get comfortable being uncomfortable, I guess is what I meant to say. And uh, just literally um, start learning new things because you're going to see these opportunities. You're going to see foreclosures. You're going to see short sales. What happens in a recession is that people lose their shirts. People lose their jobs, their shoes, their income, their livelihoods. And a lot of those people own properties and there's going to be a need. People think real estate investors are these big, bad, evil people. No, what they really do is they help people that have house problems. Otherwise they wouldn't have a fucking business. Um, that's the truth. So what we're going to talk about is investing, uh, today, and we're going to talk about specifically self-storage investing. Super interesting space. I don't know much about it. I know of it, but uh, I'm excited to have him on the show today. And he's going to tell us how to sort of think outside the box and um, take ideas like this, you guys, and um, look at it to expand your horizons because that's what you need to do right now. Uh, look at other opportunities. Uh, this could be one of them. So without further ado, let's go ahead and introduce our guest, Mr. AJ Osborne. What's up, dude? How's it going, man? Happy to be Good. on. Thanks uh, for joining us. Why don't you go ahead and just do a quick intro to everybody um, who you are, what you do, and uh, let's get into this. I have all kinds of questions for you. Right on. Yeah. So I, I've been doing self-storage since uh, prior to uh, 2008. Um, I was in insurance sales, um, moved over to uh, self-storage because we were uh, like everybody trying to get financial freedom, passive income, tax benefits, right? We were slammed with our tax liabilities because we were commission based. Right. And um, so when looking at assets, uh, we couldn't find anything that made sense. It was like, I don't understand this. We were all cash businesses, right? Everything was cash based. So when we looked at the real estate market prior to 08, it was like, there's no cash here. There's no cash flow. And so we found self storage, self storage uh, was a asset class that nobody wanted. Nobody liked it. It was a junkyard. Banks didn't like it. Institutions didn't play in it. Um, and so we could buy these from these mom and pop operators that uh, own them. And we could turn them around through very basic things. But more importantly, we could buy them really good. And we had a lot of cash flow. Um, and so we started doing that. And uh, we focused purely on things like operations. So I uh, firmly believed we focused on um, business ops. And I looked at self-storage and said, this isn't a real estate asset class. This is an actual business. We have products. We've got to do product market fit. We need to do all of these things. It acts more like a retail center than it does uh, some passive real estate investing. So we built a self-storage company around that. Um, we scaled uh, up. Right now, we have roughly 
Um, I was actually doing the numbers yesterday, uh, just over 300 million in assets. We have 33% debt, over 60% is owned just by me and my partner. Um, and uh, we have over 80 employees. We're across eight, nine states. We're in the top 70 operators in the world. Um, I have the best selling book on self storage, Self Storage Income Podcast, which is the number one rated and largest uh, self storage podcast in the world. I also own a property management system company, a tech company in self storage, as well as founder. Uh, founding member of the largest self-storage co-op in the world. And uh, the reason why I got so into self-storage was due to the fact that after building up our, our portfolio, I was still working full-time selling insurance, um, I became a quadriplegic overnight. My legs stopped working. My wife took me to a hospital, um, didn't even get to say goodbye to my kids. And within days, I was put on life. I was put into a coma, hooked up to tubes, uh, put on life support. Then I woke up from my eyes down paralyzed and I lived on tubes for months. I was taken off finally when I could breathe for myself and uh, I was put into rehab facilities. Um, and uh, when I was in my rehab facility, uh, I when I went into the hospital, I was planting trees. It was nice and warm. My kids were out playing soccer. Then uh, the in the rehab facility, I was going to get to go home for the first time, and it was Christmas Eve. And I was going to get to see my kids open up their Christmas presents. And I was not concerned about my kids not having Christmas presents. I wasn't concerned that I lost my house. I wasn't concerned that my wife would have to leave our now four children. We had just had a child. Um, he was three months old when I went into the hospital. I wasn't worried that she would have to leave our newborn and our three children to go get a job to pay bills so we would go bankrupt. And I was fired in the hospital. So my employer fired me and let me go. And I did not have a concern about those things. Why? It was due to the passive income from real estate that saved my family's financial life. And I realized at that moment, the night before I was going home to see my kids, how important it was. And I thought, I'm going to share this with others and we're going to allow other people to invest alongside with us, but I'm going to teach and share it. And then I got out of the hospital. Um, and for the last five years, I've been, I had to relearn how to, of course, do everything, talk, eat, everything else, and relearn how to walk. I was sent home paralyzed in bed. Um, and for the last five years, I've been coming back, teaching about self-storage, growing our self-storage business and portfolio. So that's me. Dude, well done. And holy crap, what a fucking stud you are. Um, great story, dude. Um, I have to break it down into two. I'm unpacking all kinds of questions I'm writing down here as you're doing it, but very, very impressive. So, um, you guys, this guy knows what he's talking about when it comes to self storage. <laughs> um, I want to talk about when it started and 07, um, you know, like, and this is what happens. Like you, you, you took on a problem. No one else wanted. And then you became the only, what were you like? The only shop in town. And I, and I, I say that because when we look at all of these different people that listen to the show, like these real estate agents, mortgage brokers, they're all selling the same thing. Yeah. Listed on the MLS, put a house inside. And it, it's like a commodity right now. And it's like, well, what are you doing differently? Um, one of the guys I, I, I follow a lot of content is Billy uh, Jean. And he says, he says it really well in one of his webinars. And um, uh, I don't know if it's a podcast or what it was, but long story short, he goes, um, the one who's able to solve the most problems that is the least competition basically is the one who always out performs and wins. And he's like, that's why doctors get paid so much because there's not as many doctors as there are maids. Right. So um, it, it, it makes a lot of sense. So I, I, I challenge you guys on it is like, just think about what he just said. 
and how that story um, got there, because I think you're going to have a lot of that opportunity in this upcoming market with investments like this. So um, awesome story. How did you get sick, though? Just like what happened? Yep. How did you Something end up in the hospital? So Guillain-Barre um, is it's not a disease. It's not anything like that. Um, it gets triggered. So something happens and it triggers the body. Um, my, my blood cells, my white blood cells um, were triggered and confused and thought my central nervous system was the virus that it was supposed to be attacking. And it, uh, my body produced white blood cells at hundreds of times normal and they severed my my nerve nervous system from my brain. They destroyed my entire nervous system in my body. And uh, it um, happened quickly. No one knew what was happening. Uh, for when we got to the hospital, they wouldn't even admit me because they said, there's nothing wrong with you outside the fact that your legs stopped working. And they wanted to know if I was on drugs. Uh, they thought it was a mental issue hmm. because they're like, you're perfectly healthy. There's nothing wrong with you. Um, which they quickly found out uh, after they figured out what triggered it. Then they knew it was Guillain-Barre. And uh, um, from there, they rushed me to get me ready because they knew I was going to uh, need to how, be on my How big was the storage business at that given time? It was big. This is five years ago. So this is after, you know, self-storage um, prior to 08, you know, people it was, it was seen as a junkyard. It was a lower yeah. class asset as an understatement, right? Totally. Nobody wanted it. Nobody invested in it. After 08, um, everything changed around self-storage and how people viewed self-storage. Um, institutions came in and played. We had third-party management that allowed banks, funds, everybody else. Technology companies came in and it was all institutional grade. They could now test it. The reason why nobody played in it was because it was so new. So storage came about in the 80s, took hold in the 90s. Prior to 08, though, it had never gone through a debt cycle. So banks had no information. Nobody had information to know if it would do good or bad. So nobody played in it. And there was no one to operate them. They're not like normal real estate assets. So if you have to operate it, all these people may, okay, I want to allocate $100 million into self-storage, but who's going to run this thing? I'm not going to go there and sell units and kick people out and do auctions and marketing and everything else. I'm not doing that. So there was no way to even enter into it. After 2008, Institutional grade third party management hit the scene in a big way through REITs. Then you also had the test that institutions needed to allocate capital after a debt cycle and institutions and normal people flooded into it because of its performance through 2008. And this created a boom in self-storage. So from 2015 on, the self-storage industry exploded as an understatement. Um, it became one of the hottest asset classes in the world. Um, it's the best performing asset class in the last 26 years and the lowest defaulting one. And after 2015, they started to develop the highest development in any year prior to that point was just over, I think it was 1 billion. After 2015, it was two to five billion every single year over year over year. Uh, so the age of self-storage really came about and everyone from banks to private equity to institutions wanted to get in the game. And then over the last four years, you've really seen the uh, effects of that and the compression of cap rates um, and the demand. I mean, you had storage units that were selling like the same cap rates as 
multifamily that have long-term leases. Um, so it, 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 it went nuts. That's amazing. Um, all right. We got to get into the, the deets, how, how, how this is uh, done. I've been preaching on the shows, like um, got to agents become investor friendly. Um, I'm going to pick your brain after this podcast and ask you how much you need to invest. That's a side note. Uh, but um, what do I, all right. So let's, I'm going to start. I'm a newbie. I'm brand new to the business. I, you have my attention. What the hell do I do first? Do I go out and find land? Do you build these up from the ground up? Is that the better play? Or do you go find an existing old one that needs to be kicked in the butt? And then the second half that I want to get into is uh, how you retailed the opportunity. Um, and I want to share an analogy because I think this is right. Just so everyone can sort of paint the picture if you're listening to this. Uh, when I went to move the other day, I went to a uh, box. Um, I guess it was a storage uh, facility and then they had a store in there and I bought ended up buying like $300 worth of like tape boxes and all the stuff. Cause I wasn't going to go make another stop. So that's what you're talking about when you're retailizing these individual um, units, you're, you're getting not only the rental income, but also the business income, correct? Yes. Yep. Okay. It's a, that's what a, I thought. Consumer driven um, product. And we even view like, so when, when I even think of units, I think of units as products. So like, if you think a storage facility, there may be 15 different size of units that offer and do totally different things. There are different products that different consumers want to use them for everything from businesses to families to whatever the utilization is of that, but they're different. So when you're marketing, when you're looking, we're doing customer um, and product placement. We are out trying to find it. We have different products that we are selling. And then we have insurance. Then, of course, we have all the servicing. People do moving trucks, right? Um, there's all sorts of other lines of revenue that are added on and sold. So, um, yes, you're correct. But the storage facility, even without the added elf revenue, still pencils. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's 100%. what's crazy about it, yes. right? It's like you, yes. you just buy a storage facility, not have any of these things, you guys, yes. and it still makes a lot of sense. And then these are just like profit maximizers to the eighth power. <laughs> yes. right? and, and you got to look at it like this. I mean, self-storage is the reason why people, beginners should get into self-storage. Okay. There's a lot of reasons why. I think it is the greatest commercial real estate asset class for an individual to get into. Why? Because unlike the other asset classes, they have not mature. Uh, self-storage is not matured fully. Now it is mature. But most real estate asset classes had their development cycles in the late or in the 90s. Okay. Retail, everything else like that came about. And the consolidation through the 80s and the 90s through private equity, institutional funds, right, gobbled all the assets up, packaged them up. And now you have a, a period where, you know, like multifamily is 80% ownership is institutionalized, right? Well, self storage, it's like 60% are still individual operators, mom and pops. Now, when I got started, it was 91 or 92% were individual operators, but self-storage is going through a consolidation phase. So you can buy these individually single operated small facilities in rural towns and big cities, right? And you can do very simple things to maximize them, right? Make sure people pay their rent, maybe build a website. Um, but then you also have the consolidation going on. So you know that somebody's there that will want to buy it. That is the best position for an investor to be in. I can still get good deals and I can improve it, right? And then I know that there's a buyer at the end of the table. So when we got started in self-storage, we were getting good deals and had high cash flow, 
But that wealth generation source was really unknown. That's why I didn't, frankly, stop selling insurance or doing other things. Because we didn't know that there was this clear end buyer that was gonna would want to buy these assets. That is definitely different today. So if I go buy, build, do whatever, I know that I can make that very profitable. It'll cash flow high. We have 40% margins in self-storage, right? Yeah, that's and great. that's a real estate asset. And somebody will want to exit it at a very high amount. So let me um, unpack that a little bit for you guys to make sure. And, you know, like in the last two, three years, you see syndication, multifamily, multifamily, multifamily. All the gurus are just pumping that out. And what he's saying is that once the institutions, unless I have this wrong, but once the institutions come on in, um, they uh, basically maximize the asset class, right? And then once they come in, it's hard to compete as a mom and pop. Yes, And exactly. the cap rates are less because they could operate at a lot less of a profit overall because they have the money. They're, they're, it's institutionalized. So you still have that. 60% is huge, guys. That's like saying, so there's a lot of upside is what you're, is what he's saying, guys. There's a lot of upside Lots in this tub. In still exactly. a lot of upsides. But then once this thing... You, this is like history repeats itself, though. You anticipate this asset class being storage, um, getting maximized out, and then there's going to be something else. Is that what we're saying here? In five years, self-storage will be 40% mom and pops. You'll lose half the mom and pops in five years. Um, self-storage will be just like multifamily or any other asset class in the next five years. So you're exactly right. The upside on it is still incredible, uh, whereas the upside on a lot of these assets have really plateaued out except economic forces. So what that means is that the, the, what you're looking at on multifamily is very, very simple, right? I want my tenants to pay down debt. I want to try to generate cash flow. And in the future, it'll be worth more. I'll pay down debt, value will go up and rents will go up, right? Those are economic forces that you're buying and saying in the future, it'll be better, right? Well, I can buy storage facilities today and I can make them better. And I don't need the economic forces to go up. Then the economic forces take it up and my wealth explodes. And so your returns, right, are staggering because you get all the benefits that you do of normal real estate, yet you can buy underperforming ones and get the immediate upside and have high cash flow. Um, in a a lot of real estate asset classes that just doesn't exist anymore. Um, I mean, I'm looking multifamily deals for years and I'm like, are people just buying these at a loss? Like, are they just losing money every single year? And the little they're, that they made was teeny. Right? Yeah, they're tough. They're tough. tough. They're, they seem far and few uh, in between, no doubt. Um, all right, let's talk about actual property types. Would you rather find an old um, facility or, or old business and rejuvenate uh, it or where I traditionally sold real estate was like in a market like Chicago. And there was a, um, this is like just, like there's so many big, beautiful loft buildings that are just perfect for just yeah. conversion, you know, that the infrastructure is there and it'd be so easy to convert these into like a storage building. So is it any, or is it a little bit of all? Like you just got to look at the deal, like, which is if I'm looking at acquisitions, where's my mindset at right now? What's my property type? Or am I going after yeah. a property owner? So um, I do. All I, you know, we were big starting the trend of uh, conversions by bankruptcy for Kmart's. I bought office buildings, turned them into storage facilities. I do ground up development um, and I acquire. If you're a newbie, newbie, the best thing to do is acquire. Um, the reason why is you have consistent cash flow, right? Um, and self storage, like other assets, but self storage in particular is very sensitive to supply and demand economics. 
If you get into a market that is oversupplied, there's very little you can do about that. And that can hurt you. So you have to really be able to nail down demand, right? Well, if you're building an asset and you don't have an experience in storage, you know, the repercussions of not getting that demand wrong are very, very big, right? Now, if you are buying a storage facility, you have all of the information. I can see the demand and I have it cash flowing and paying me. I can see how sensitive it is, how long it's been full, how long rates have been going on, right? And then I can look for the areas that I can improve. So it's a much more easy way to, it's easily identifiable the upside, right? When we're doing developments or conversions, um, we're looking for deals that are just crazy home runs that have so much upside that even if markets turn down, even if things slow down, we're still okay, right? Um, but we are really, you know, we have data. We have a lot to really find and analyze demand. So if you're just starting out, it's probably best to first understand how storage works, buy it, see it, take that easy win, find the facility that's easily, you can just simply, delinquencies are high, make people pay their rents, right? Keep hours open and answer the phone and you can increase revenue just by operating it decently. And then you'll learn more about it. And then if you want to develop, you'll understand what I'm developing, why I'm developing, where, and what are the risks and how to really measure development. Uh, demand. What what would uh, be a good area to look in for demand? Is it high population? Is it a certain type of industry? Is it near a certain yeah. type of city? Is it within a highway distance? Like what are some of those economic? Let me walk you through. You want, yeah, things you yep. want around it. Um, because- so here's what you got to look for. Now, first thing is the number one threat to self storage is self storage. Okay. So when we're looking at self storage, I'm looking at um, first. And foremost, you want to look at the amount of storage on the market. So the per square foot capita, meaning how much storage is there per individual, right? The second thing I want to look for is occupancies. But just because you have high occupancy doesn't mean you have to high demand. And a lot of people don't understand this. And I've seen this in other markets. Um, and it's kind of crazy. Um, and then the third thing you want to look for is uh, historical rates. The reason being is, You want to understand how much square footage is on the market and how much more is coming on. So what will be the change in supply and demand? Then out of that square footage on the market, are facilities full? Okay, great. They're all full. All right. But now what kind of demand is there? Then we look at rental rate increases and we're looking at the correlation between occupancy and rent increases. And if those are inverse, that's a bad sign, meaning you increase rates and occupancy dips down. So you'll have areas that are 100% full, but rates have been stagnant for years because if you up rates, everybody moves out. So just because they're full doesn't mean there's any demand, right? And that's a really scary thing because if you're at that level and somebody builds a facility, it can only go down because there isn't enough demand to even support where it's at, even though people are full. So the, the correlation between rental rate, rental rates increases and decreases and, ocu- and occupancy I want to see that they're getting good rental rate increases and occupancy isn't budging. That means you have a very um, inelastic price point in that market. And so those are the three basics on how to really understand it. Now you can go into demographics, you can go into all this crazy stuff, right? Which we do, but at the end of the day, it's those three points and I don't need anything. And I can pretty much tell you if there's demand or not just by those three points. 
And, and who are the consumers? Like who's leasing these things? What are they doing with them? Like I've never rented a storage unit, but I know it's a, this is a big business. Yeah. Uh, but like, what, what am I putting in there? Like, are they just storing like all their extra shit for summer? Are they storing their wine? Are they storing um, yeah. so all the, of the above? Yeah, the big thing you got to realize with storage is it's probably the most misunderstood asset class. So most people think, okay, we have self-storage because we're just hoarders and we hoard too much, right? And that was the prevailing thought prior to 2008. And what people thought is if you go in an economic downturn, those storage empties are going to just be vacant because self-storage is a product of excess, right? But then that didn't happen. And what they failed to realize is storage is an outcome of econo economic and regulatory impacts. So if I'm adding a 10 by 20 onto my home, the price per square foot to do that is astronomical compared to a uh, lease rate that I want to do. If I lived in uh, uh, or not if I lived in, when in uh, the 1980s, right, my dad wanted to store some stuff. He built a sh shed in the back of his house. You can't do that now, right? So you can't put RVs out. You just can't have crap lying around. You have HOAs that regulate how everything looks, what you can do. So now regulatory and uh, economic pressures to price points make it so just to live and consume at the same basic level we did on a dollar amount. So consumption has risen, but the impact of consumption to income has not risen. That's what people don't understand, right? So we consume more with the same amount, yet the impact on income and, and uh, real estate, that is not the same. It is so far outpaced that, right? And then the regulations of the real estate have exploded in yeah. the last 20, 30 years. I'm guessing and that's why people I'm start. guessing big cities are a good thing. Like and this is like like here, imagine like in California, the the, the guidelines and the, the restrictions are so tight. There really isn't. Like you get, I guess you're right. If you're in a condo building, especially the new ones, even like condo buildings that were built like 15 years ago, you used to have like a storage room. You could actually like walk into it. But condo buildings built today, you get these little like two by two cages, and that's it. Yep. That's you it. know what I mean? And yeah. uh, I could see that makes a lot of sense. It's almost like they forced this. It, it has to happen. There's nowhere else to go. Yeah. And think about if I'm a builder. Okay. I can, I can build a condo and I can put extra space for people to store stuff. Um, and that takes up 50,000 square feet. Yeah. It doesn't pencil. If I was to use that 50,000 square feet to rent out in the condo, right? There, you're, that's such a wildly different return. It makes no sense to do it. You're right. It doesn't pencil. So self-storage is now that new thing because what they're doing is they're taking volume. So what doesn't work on an individual basis does work at volume, right? So it's actually very logical. It's a very, uh, uh, it, it's a demand that is solid and is not going away anytime soon. But a lot of people too don't understand that the highest utilization of storage facilities is actually in rural markets. The number one utiliza uh, utilizer of self-storage is single family homes and families. It's not apartments. Really? I, I would adopt yep. the complete opposite. Interesting. Yep. I was thinking immediately why, in my head was big city, near condo buildings. Those are my head went immediately, but um, why is well, that? Well, they Go have ahead. the highest prices per square foot because it's limited on what people can buy or build. But as far as the amount of storage utilized in those markets, it's substantially less. Um, and the reason by, being is in rural markets, people have higher disposable incomes and the activities are very different that they do. So if you go into the Intermountain West or you go across the front, 
and down into Texas. People have toys. They have disposable income. They travel. They want to buy more stuff. When you live in an apartment, right, in LA, you're not buying a four-wheeler. You're not going skiing, right? You're not going camping. It's, you know, you may store a Christmas tree, but probably not. You're not decorating your house. You're not filling that house with things. And so it's 45% of all tenants are single family homeowners. Right across the street. Uh, I live in Carlsbad. Um, so Southern California. And then like right across the street, from, we're in an HOA. I'm curious about this, if they own that land or not, but directly across from me is a, a parking lot just for everyone's RVs. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So they, and it's a single family homes, but they, there's a, and it's full, there's a 50 RVs in there. And yep. I'm wondering if the HOA is just leasing that back <laughs> to the, uh, homeowners as part of as extra uh, revenue because I do know you have to lease them. So that's yes. definitely what they're doing. That makes sense. But it's it's like, and what else would that have been? Like, it, it's just literally an empty lot. Yeah. You know, they put up a fence around it. That's the maintenance yep. on that thing. It's just pure profit, right? Uh, let's talk exactly. about that and let's get this wrap. But I want to, so maintenance, what do I have to yeah. do? This sounds like a lot of work. What's my day-to-day look like? Because I know there's two aspects of this you mentioned. One is just the actual real estate, rent collection, the landlord part of it. But then the part that sounds really exciting is is business model part of it where you yes. have a whole fleet of services uh catered to the people who are leasing the space from you it's almost like the mcdonald's model guys would you like fries with that you yeah. know that's where they make their money <laughs> not on the yeah. burger right it's the upsell it's a, it's a happy meal yeah and, and and you're right it's really so like when you look at operation stuff we do things like um we do dynamic pricing so like airlines do right every single seat pays a different amount my units are changing every single day. What that means is I'm setting market rates, not the market. So when you look at a city and you have a three bedroom, two bathroom, right? They're all pretty much, as long as quality is the same and location's the same, they're all going to be priced the same. The market's going to set that price, right? That's not how it works in storage. If I have a 10 by 10 and Bob right across the street has a 10 by 10, our 10 by 10s are wildly different pricing. And so the better operator can maximize square footage and pricing um, and dramatically increase revenues that way. Short-term leases that was looked at as a bad thing is actually one of the best things about storage. While everybody else was getting slammed while you had um, inflation soaring, right? We were changing our rates literally boom, 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 every week as prices went up. And uh, um, tenants are sticky because the impact is less. So if I give you a 10% increase, on a $50 a month unit, that is less than the gas money it takes to move it. Not to mention if you're renting vehicles, if you have to move it, it's also less than just the signup fee at another storage facility, which is gonna be 50 bucks. It's 10 times less than the signup fee to get into another one. So who's gonna move? Nobody. Retention is good, huh? Yes, it is good. It's true. Like, I don't want to go, if I drop all my stuff off, I'm like, like the last thing I want to do is go move it to go save 10 bucks a month. No, no. Like it's just not worth my time. And the fact that I have a storage facility anyways, it's probably, um, makes sense. It makes a whole lot of sense. And it's by you. It's a convenience thing. So like we look at storage as infrastructure, right? So there is a very, uh, uh, sticky tenants and they're not that price sensitive. If you are renting a home at $2,000 a month, and you have a 10% increase, you're pissed. That's a big difference in how you live. 
right? Yeah. That just doesn't happen with storage. So when you look at the assets overall, there's kind of a variety of them. You mentioned you have like the um, uh, parking, right? You have drive up storage, but then you have like the mega facilities, like the multi-story climate controlled, right? You have the, the big boys. Uh, the vast majority of storage facilities, particularly the underperforming ones are just drive up storages in different towns. They're mom and pop owned, they have very little debt, they're cash flowing, they don't do really anything, they don't change their prices, they just whatever the price of a 10 by 10 is, they're all that price. So we can see a 30% increase in gross revenue just by changing the pricing of the units. And uh, that's, I mean, that's our business model. That's, uh, you know, what we do. And then if you want capital expenditures, I can increase the off office, right? But as far as capital expenditures go, if you have an office versus if you don't, you're talking about um, it's either paved or graveled, you have metal doors and a metal building. Your cap X per tenant is astronomically low. And so we don't get hit with major capital expenditures. And if you do, it's almost always covered by insurance. And it's not anything that changes the nature of the asset or would stop us from renting it 99.9% .9 of the time. So like, just compare that you guys to like, uh, like restabilizing and bringing highest and best to a multifamily of 76 units. If you have tenants in there, you have to wait till each tenant moves out. Then you got to order the materials okay. and then you got that vacancy rate right there with storage. They're not going to like care if the ground oh. isn't polished perfectly. Right. They're not going to bitch about oh. the GFCI outlet, not working or the scratch on the wall or the dent in the refrigerator. They're just going to throw their shit in there and it just hands off. And just through a stabilization of repositioning prices without even doing anything. Whereas in the other ones, very interesting, dude. Um, very well. Uh, you taught me quite a lot um, on this. Um, you you have a Facebook group or you have something going on here. Yeah. Uh, do you have any yeah. other thing you want to add on that? I think I I mean, dude, you laid it up pretty simple. Yeah, I um, think I, I, I just add on everybody that um, like all assets, right? We, we talk about all the good things, everything else like that. And I don't wanna be a simple cheerleader. I wanna help people be effective in this asset class. Um, you gotta look out for demand. So oversupplied markets, right? Uh, and, and that is your, your, your biggest enemy. But outside that, everybody, I operate off a rule that I call my margin of stupidity. And that means when I'm buying an asset, I need it to be uh, an asset that the market is so good, right? That even if I'm an idiot, I'll still be successful. And uh, we do that by evaluating what we're buying it at and our overall market price. But then if I can do a good job at it, I am rewarded for those efforts and I'm rewarded greatly. But if I'm an idiot, I'm still okay. And uh, that's really what you wanna do when you're investing. Um, you shouldn't have your investing strategy on any real estate be predicated on you being super smart. It shouldn't be predicated on future events taking place just how you think or need them to like a sell or something like that because you're incorporating risk and you don't need to do any of those things with self-storage to make them work. And uh, I think, you know, that's really the, the beauty. You have options, you have choices, the cash flow, you can sell them for hire, you can improve them. There's a lot of opportunity at very little cost as capital expenditures and everything else to reposition the assets and hold for the long term. Um, yeah. So we, we, I do, I have a Facebook group. It's a self-storage income. Go check it out. But we have a Facebook group where we give everything from models away to lessons, educational stuff. 
Um, you can go to our site, selfstorageincome.com, join the community. I have a really high level group if anybody wants to be like, I'm really doing this, I'm serious about it. And that's just my inner, inner, inner circle that we do. But you can also check out the podcast, Self Storage Income. You know, we give everything out away and uh, the, my book, Growing Wealth in Self Storage um, by AJ Osborne. We go through case studies, um, everything else. So we try to put as many resources out there as humanly possible for everyone and to do, to learn more. If you're interested in it, jump in. You're going to be amazed at what you find. Um, it's, it's exciting stuff. Love it. Love it. Love it, man. That was really, really good and entertaining. And, um, I'm going to check out all your stuff and look at it myself. I like it. Thank you folks for listening to their episode of the real estate marketing dude podcast. If you have any additional questions and what we do, we script edit, distribute videos, but I really want you to check out our software, which is called referralsuite.com. That is referralsuite.com. Uh, we make sure everyone in your network knows who the hell you are and they stop cheating on you with other real estate agents, lenders, and everybody else in your market by constantly creating content and keeping you top of mind. So go and check that out. It's our newest product and we'd love to see what you think about it. Thanks for listening to another episode. We'll see you guys on next week's. Bye-bye. Thank you for watching another episode of the Real Estate Marketing Dude podcast. If you need help with video or finding out what your brand is, visit our website at www.realestatemarketingdude.com. We make branding and video content creation simple and do everything for you. So if you have any additional questions, visit the site, download the training, and then schedule time to speak with a dude and get you rolling in your local marketplace. Thanks for watching another episode of the podcast. We'll see you next time.